know, John, I haven't had a cup of coffee all day long. Have you not? And I go back there at five minutes to five or whenever we get to two minutes to five, and I get the last dregs of the final pot of the day, and it is so good. The backwash coffee. Oh, God, it is so wonderful. I've got I've got Christy now bringing me a rock star because I've been, I've been dragging all day, too. I don't, I don't need it for that. I just like coffee. Seriously, I, I wouldn't make that up. All right. I'm not addicted. I can quit anytime I want. I don't judge, man. I quit for nearly 12 hours today. Almost. Welcome back to Afternoons Live, KFIV, KWSX, everywhere via the iHeartRadio app. It is a Thursday episode of the big show. It's the 5 o'clock hour. We turn to the pages of the United States Constitution. You know that document that's supposed to be in charge of everything? And we talk about what it says, what it means, how it applies, what it's been done to it, what's been done to it. Maybe even how we can get things back to the way we think they ought to be. I'm going to talk with Susan Shelley. She's an author. She's written a book, How the First Amendment Came to Protect Topless Dancing. It is a really good book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's, um, I think you're going to learn some stuff this afternoon. She's also a candidate for Congress down uh, in the Southern California area. She's on the line. We'll talk to her in just a moment. If you want to join us, 565-DAVE is the telephone number. You can also text the show, 565-DAVE, the same numbers. That's in a 209 area code. You can join our chat room at KFIV1360.com. Follow us along there. Don't forget to log on to KFIV1360.com, though. While you're there, check out our FAQ, our podcasts, our blogs, and, of course, that link to the free book, How the First Amendment Came to Protect Topless Dancing by Susan Shelley, is available there as well. It's free, folks. Get it today only at KFIV1360.com. A low-key cognizio stand-up. Tell those who oppose liberty, don't tread on me. I don't. I have no idea how I found this book initially. I was. I, I have a tendency to just kind of browse through the Kindle store on 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 Amazon, uh-huh. and of course, of interest to me are constitutional stub, subjects. But there it was: how the First Amendment came to protect topless dancing, and it wasn't prohibitively expensive. So I and he looked at that and he said, "The First Amendment's the best amendment." Then. No, I'm still. I still like the third. It's still my favorite. But I uh, so I downloaded it. And I started reading it. What? Nothing. I, I I started reading it and I was hooked. And I and I read it in this course of about maybe three hours because it was it was that. Good. And then I had to go back and read it again because then I start digesting it. Do you have a constitutional but, amendments bikini calendar? I don't, but I wish I did. That's our next million dollar idea. Yes, and it would be protected by the First Amendment too. Yeah, it would. We could do it. We for, could do it. We could do it for charity, even. We could do that. Uh, Susan Shelley's joining us now. She's, uh, I, I assume she's down in L.A. Susan, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Nice to be with you, Dave. It, it's, it's great to have you here. First off, let me, I, let me get all the, the sucking up out of the way to start with. Okay. Um, your book is really good. Thank you. I, I love the way it's written. And what I really like most about your book is, well, there's two things I like most about it. One, it says what I've been trying to say for the better part of two years in a cogent and uh, clear manner that, for some reason, I seem to be lacking. And number two, you footnoted everything. And I just, God bless authors that footnote things. Well, you have to. If you're going to say the Supreme Court has been wrong for 80 years, you have to have your ducks in a row. And well, that's really what happened there. And that's, and that's what it is. Now, uh, let's talk about how you started out. I mean, you don't, you don't just get up in the morning and go, I'm going to write a book, How the First Amendment Protects Topless Dancing. That's, you didn't just roll out of bed and say, you know, I've had my coffee. Let's head this direction. Although if you did, that's a great story. <laughs> Yes. No. 
what happened is I was shopping for real estate in Los Angeles, and I found that there are two kinds of neighborhoods, unsafe and unaffordable. Hmm. And I said, how does this happen? It wasn't like this in the 30s where just because people didn't have money, that meant that they had gunshots on the porch. How did this happen that all these neighborhoods are unsafe? And I started doing a little research to see when it changed exactly. And, of course, I came to all those Warren Court decisions from the 1950s and 60s when, uh, I don't know if you remember those old reruns of Dragnet, but Jack Webb would talk about people getting off on technicalities and he'd just shake his head. (laughs) And I went and I looked at what some of that was. And I decided, what if you undid that, hypothetically, and then started the story of a novel after, like, 40 years to see how it turned out? What would happen if you got rid of due process of law and all the technicalities that went with it, and you followed it to its logical conclusion and started the story? What would happen? So I decided I would write a novel about that. And I didn't really want to do all the legal research until I knew if I could write a novel, because I hadn't done it before. So I, I wrote one draft for the plot. And I would leave big blank sections for all the, what I would consider the legal mumbo-jumbo. I just wrote it off in my mind that way. <laughs> I did two drafts of the book like this, and then I, I had to do the research. So I, I get a book called Government by Judiciary, which is called the Transformation. It's Government by Judiciary, the Transformation of the 14th Amendment by Raoul Berger, mm-hmm. who was a Harvard law professor. Yep. I start reading it, and immediately the premise of the book falls apart. You cannot get rid of due process of law because the entire body of civil rights law and women's rights and a whole bunch of other things, privacy rights, everything was done through the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. And you can't get rid of it. It was completely implausible that the voters would ever go along with that, getting rid of the due process clauses in order to get rid of crime. So, well, now I'm just now I'm just in a pickle. I've done two drafts of the book. I've done all this work, and I either have to find a way to make it work or I have to throw it out and do something else. So I decided to just do more research. And what I found is that the Bill of Rights was never intended to apply to the states at all. And that's what the Warren Court changed, not just the Warren Court, but all the several Supreme Courts from 1925 on. They took the parts of the Bill of Rights, and they made them apply to the states selectively. And it's in that selectiveness that all of the judicial governance happens. All the the picking and choosing of what the states can do and what the states can't do, and all these things where people sue in federal court to say, I have a First Amendment right to dance nude or to sleep in the park and and be with Occupy Oakland. And I have a First Amendment right. Well, you have to go to court. You have to ask. You have to ask the judges whether you do or you don't, because no one really knows anymore. And this is what's called the incorporation doctrine, the idea that the Bill of Rights is incorporated into the part of the 14th Amendment where the Due Process Clause is. And essentially what's happened is we have started using this as a substitute for constitutional amendments. I think everybody's heard the phrase test case. Yes. And what happens is people have given up the idea of using Article 5, where the amendment process happens. They've given that up. That's too much trouble. They just find a test case. They go to the Supreme Court, and they say, well, we think that there should be a right to privacy, or we think there should be a right to this or a right to that. And they try to get a test case and a Supreme Court ruling, and that, for 80 years, is how we have amended the Constitution. You know, I hadn't really considered that before, but, but you're right. I mean, the last, the last pure amendment to the Constitution would have been the, what, the 18-year voting, because the, the 27th was one of the original right. 12... Right, but so really, the last time we would have amended that at all, I'm surprised they didn't find a test case for that because, but yeah. uh, uh, that's an intriguing, 
intriguing approach to that. So where, whatever happened with the novel? Did we ever finish the novel? Did yes, we fill in novel, those blank the novel, spots? The novel was finished. It turns out that in order to get rid of all of this jurisprudence through the due process clause that's picking and choosing and selective and some of it's good and some of it's horrible, in order to get rid of that, the main thing that we have to do is amend the Constitution to ban racial discrimination and also gender discrimination. That's what was never done. <laughs> this is the reason when you're watching an interview and somebody says, oh, the judges are overreaching, like, for instance, Newt Gingrich said that he wanted to arrest judges who issued bad decisions. And Bob Schieffer on CBS Face the Nation came right at him and said, so you would undo Brown versus Board of Education? Well, they weren't talking about anything with civil rights. They were talking about, I forget what, something with terrorism cases. And Bob Schieffer went right to desegregation. And the reason is that is an example of the court amending the Constitution for us. It never was amended to ban racial discrimination. And that's why affirmative action is a judgment call. And all these uh, voting rights acts are a judgment call. You know, maybe, maybe this is required and maybe it's not required. Maybe it's prohibited. Maybe it's mandatory. If the Constitution really banned racial discrimination, none of that would be legal. It, it, it's an intriguing. So what it kind of, um, if I can kind of rephrase this a little bit, you're, what you're saying is some of these things that the court has ruled may in fact be what we needed to do, but we needed to do it the proper way, which was to amend the Constitution That's rather than right. discover a fundamental right that nobody knew was there. Exactly, because a fundamental right is any, any right that's created by the judges can be undone by the judges. And you see this when a conservative is running for president and the groups come up and they say, well, you know, if he's elected and he has to appoint anyone to the Supreme Court, civil rights could be rolled back. Well, does anyone stop and say, why can civil rights be rolled back? They can be rolled back because the whole thing was done by the judiciary and not through an amendment. And it should have been, we should do that now. We should yeah. amend the Constitution tomorrow to ban race and gender discrimination. You We've know, never done that. You know, I bet, because the 13th and 19th Amendments are virtually word for word the same. It's just... You have uh, slavery, and then you have women's rights. You could probably get that to pass. In a, I, I bet we could get that through Congress, all the state legislatures, and back in a week. Uh, you know, I'd like to see anybody stand up and say it's not a good idea. I, I can't imagine that anyone could do that. But really, not publicly, that's, that's I don't think what's they, missing. Yeah, I don't think publicly they would, but I think privately some folks would have some heartache with that. Susan Shelley, the book is, uh, we're, we're going to talk more about the book here in just a minute. The book is called How the First Amendment Came to Protect Topless Dancing. Susan, hang on. We've got to take a break, and we'll be right back to continue the conversation right here on Afternoons Live. Stay with us. We're going to check traffic. Is it me you're looking for? I guess you got a First Amendment right to play this crap, but... Lionel Richie is awesome! He was awesome when he was with the Commodores. Lionel Richie is awesome. All right, but this song we have to agree is... We don't. All right, then I will simply dictate through my judiciary that this song is... is, is bleh. Welcome back to Afternoons Live, KFIB KWSX. It is a Thursday episode of The Big Show. Talking with Susan Shelley. Susan's with us from L.A. Susan, good afternoon. Welcome back. Hello. Glad you're with Oh, you like the song, don't you? No. Okay, good. So it's <laughs> two to one. This, this, this judiciary panel has ruled against that song. There's no accounting for taste. <laughs> well, there is some, but not a lot. Uh, Susan is the author of the book. It's called How the First Amendment Came to Protect Topless Dancing. Uh, you can get the book for free today from Amazon.com for your Kindle or for your computer device. Uh, today only. 
after today, you can buy it like I did and then go from there. Susan, as you, um, y- you started out this process with buying real estate, what, what did you find most surprising? When's the moment when the light bulb went on and you went, holy crud, this is what's wrong with the country? Well, I think it was when I realized that the, all of the rights that the states are supposed to have to pass all the laws that the people of each state want in order to manage the, their own affairs, that went completely away after the incorporation doctrine um, was invented and developed. It, for instance, um, the, let's say the people of New York are upset about the public library having porn on the computers. People can go into a public library in New York and watch porn on computers that are right within, within sight lines of uh, little kids and people in the checkout line and all of this. And, and they want to stop it, but they can't stop it because... Porn is legally allowed, and the, new, the people of New York don't want to get sued for infringing anyone's First Amendment right to view legal material on a public library computer. Without the incorporation doctrine, the state of New York would have a perfect right to ban porn on library computers. And the state of Maryland could ban screaming and protesting at military funerals. But they can't right now because of the incorporation doctrine. The Supreme Court says there's a First Amendment right to scream at military funerals. But there isn't. And I began seeing in the news, there were all these stories where people said they had a Fourth Amendment right or they had a First Amendment right, and the Supreme Court would say, well, maybe you do and maybe you don't. We'll just wait and see and we'll decide. So everything from uh, strip searches in school and, and uh, roadblocks for, for drug searches or sobriety checkpoints, instead of the people of each state being able to decide where they want to draw the line and what's reasonable and what's not, The line is drawn for them by the Supreme Court, and it has to be the same for the whole country. And that is not the deal we signed. It might be a good idea in some cases. They might reach a very wise decision that everyone agrees with, but it's not the deal we signed. Well, while the Bill of Rights was not intended to apply to states, it would not be in the state's best interest today for California to come out and say, we are going to establish a religion, we are going to restrict freedom of the press. That would not fly well. Well, there's probably a Bill of Rights in every state constitution or something similar to it, so... It wouldn't happen. But the idea that, let's say California wants to ban panhandling. They can't, because panhandlers have a First Amendment right, according to the Supreme Court, you know, unless they're disruptive or there's some secondary effect that's causing problems for uh, pedestrians or drivers. But in general, you can't stop people from asking you for money in the, in the, in the doorway of a business, even if in, in the opinion of the local voters wrecking a neighborhood. You can't do anything about it because everybody has potential First Amendment rights. If the Supreme Court feels that the state doesn't have a compelling enough reason for a law that prohibits whatever it is. So you saw this with the Occupy protests where they were sleeping in the park and causing a lot of problems, causing a lot of expense. No one was sure that they could ask them to leave or force them out because it might be freedom of the freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, and it might not be. It, it depends on whether the, whether the government has a compelling reason, not a rational reason, a rational reason isn't good enough, but a compelling reason to infringe a constitutional right, a fundamental right. And no one knows what that is. It depends on who the judge is. It depends on what day of the week it is. It's completely subjective. And it, it seems to vary even with case to case. And that's, okay. uh, this didn't, and now the interesting thing about all this, of course, and you trace this process by when we went through. We didn't just get up one morning and decide that incorporation was the law of the land. There's no one ruling where it says, okay, no. the entire Bill of Rights is incorporated today. No. 
started in 1925. And this, it, it's interesting because at the time of the 14th Amendment being passed, which was right after the Civil War in 1868, no one thought that it made the Bill of Rights apply to the states. No one thought that. And there were decision after decision after decision saying that it didn't. And then after all the judges who were alive at the time that that was passed, after everyone was dead, in 1925, the court said, you know, we think that maybe the First Amendment does apply to the states because it's so fundamental to liberty that it really ought to. And it was in a footnote in a decision in 1925 called Gitlow versus New York. And nobody really paid much attention to it. But gradually, in the 1930s, a little bit more and a little bit more, 1940s, a little more, and by the time uh, Chief Justice Earl Warren was on the bench, they were just ignoring the original intent of the 14th Amendment, and they were saying, well, whatever we think is fundamental must apply to the states through the 14th Amendment. And what's really surprising is how recent some of this is. For instance, um, the, the right to be free from illegal searches and seizures in the Fourth Amendment did not apply to the states until 1949. And the right against self-incrimination, the right to remain silent, did not apply to the states until 1964. And then uh, everyone's familiar with the Miranda rights decision. That was 1966. Uh, you did not have a right to trial by jury in all criminal cases until 1968. It was, the case was Duncan versus Louisiana, 1968, before the states were required to provide trial by jury in all criminal cases. And what's interesting is that James Madison had an amendment that he proposed, which failed in uh, 1791. He said that no state shall, he wanted no state shall violate the equal rights of conscience or the freedom of the press or trial by jury in criminal cases. But the Senate voted that down. They said that interferes with the state's rights too much to require a trial by jury in criminal cases. Maybe right. they want to have trials by judges, and that should be their right. And that was the law until 1968. And, of course, no one ever voted on this. That's really my objection to it. It's not that it's a bad idea for the states to, to be required to provide trial by jury, but no elected official ever weighed in on this. Nobody debated it. Nobody said, well, what's the cost, and how many people are you going to have to have in the jury pool, and uh, is it really true that in every criminal case a judge can't be fair? No one, no elected official, no voter ever weighed in on it. The Supreme Court just decided in 1968, well, we think now we're going to require that. <laughs> and, and that's just not the deal we signed. As I said, it's not, it's not consent, uh, consent of the governed. I guess to me, and, and, and maybe this is where I'm struggling most with this, and that's the fact that this, incorpor this doctrine of incorporation, mm -hmm. this idea of slowly but surely incorporating the entirety of the Bill of Rights with the exception of the Eighth and Ninth Amendments into the, into the states as well, it, it has become so pervasive that last, well, it was, it was, I guess it's been more than a year now since McDonald, we actually watched the conservative justices on the Supreme Court incorporate the Second Amendment, albeit in an attempt to protect it, and I get that, but realistically speaking, it was the opposite decision of what you would expect from a conservative just. You know, you're justice. really right about that. You're really right. And now that they have incorporated the Second Amendment, what could happen is some state could pass a very restrictive gun control law, and the Supreme Court could uphold it. And then there would be pressure on every other local government to pass the same law because the Supreme Court will have said, well, this is okay. So in a way, it, it puts federal judges in the position of ruling on which gun control laws are allowable and which ones are not. Whereas if they hadn't incorporated it, you could have gone state by state and protected gun rights in each state constitution. 
and the federal courts would have nothing to say about that. Which brings us back to why this election is so important. Presidents, senators, and even to a lesser degree, Congress people, because Congress people are uh, able to introduce bills that actually start the amendment process. Um, you yourself are running for Congress yes, down down there. Um, if you were to win, is that something you would introduce as an amendment to outlaw or to ban racial discrimination? I absolutely would. I absolutely would because it is it is not right that that anyone's rights depend on the favors of judges. Constitutional rights belong in the Constitution. And certainly the right to be free from racial discrimination, all laws shall apply equally regardless of race or color. Why is that not in the language of the Constitution? And a lot of people think it is. They think that the 14th Amendment did that, but it really didn't. In fact, in 1866, they were debating a Civil Rights Act, and they had some language in it that said there shall be no discrimination in civil rights on account of race, color, or previous condition of slavery. But they cut that language out of the bill because it was a deal-breaker. They did not have the votes for that. They said, no, some judge is going to use that to strike down segregation, and that's not what we intend. That's how it was in 1866. Right. That was the law. And so that's why in the 1950s the judges found a way to essentially reverse that and override it. But it's, it's done in a way that's not really secure. And I'm, sh- I'm certainly tired of hearing liberals complain that conservative judges are going to roll back civil rights. Nobody's going to roll back civil rights, right. and I'm tired of hearing that accusation. And even if they did, it would be the perfect argument for the liberal to come out on favor of states' rights, saying, well, this state's going to make sure that doesn't happen. Well, that's true. It would be an opportunity. To, the, the title of the book is How the First Amendment Came to Protect Topless Dancing. It is, a, it is a five-diamond book. I give it five diamonds across the board. You can get it for free today at Amazon.com. Uh, even if you don't have a Kindle, you just read it on your computer. It is a, not only is it a well-written book, Shelley, but it is also a well-researched book. And as I said earlier, it's footnoted, so if you aren't sure, you can just click on the little footnote there, and it will take you uh, to where the information is, and you can read it for yourself. You've done a, a, a fantastic thing here. I wish you the best in your luck down, uh, best of luck down in your your congressional race there. And we've got a lot of work to do ahead of us, even if win, lose, or draw. So we've got to go. We've got to get the word out as to we really need to start pushing for this constitutional amendment, and then start rolling back some of these uh, these incorporated ideas. That's what it takes. We have to we have to amend the constitution to say what we all think it means because it doesn't say what we think it means. We've allowed the judges to do this work for us, and we really have to do it the right way. Yep. I appreciate it, Shelley. It's great talking to you, and uh, if, if there's anything we can do for you down there, let us know. No, just look me up at SusanShelleyForCongress.com. And you got you got a tough race down there, but as I said yesterday, just because it's a tough race doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Well, I think it, it, could be, it could be more interesting than people think. There are two Democrats running in this district, and they're going to split the Democratic vote, and a Republican could slip in there. It could happen. Yeah, well, I wish more Republicans would think that way, but we'll see what happens. Thanks, talk, thanks for being here, Shelley, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks, Dave. It's half past the hour. It's Afternoons Live, KFIV, KWSX, everywhere via the iHeartRadio app. Stay with us. We'll be back. Welcome back. Afternoons live, KFIV, KWSX, everywhere via the iHeartRadio app. It is a Thursday episode of The Big Show. You want to dive in here, 565-DAVE. It's also the text number, 565-DAVE as well. You have that satisfied look on your face. That energy drink must have done you good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like a, 
It was like a magical shot to the heart. This coffee is so good. And it's, it's you know, it's it's the last dregs of a pot that's been sitting there for like four hours. Yeah. I love that. Now, is, it, is it just like super infused at that yeah. point with, yeah. uh, and, and all, the, all the grounds are at the bottom if there were any that made it into the pot that's been stewing? <sighs> with coffee goodness. I love that. <laughs> so good. I was down in. Uh, I get it. I was down at Turlock High School last year, I guess, and visiting the uh, NJRTC cadets and Commander Meyer, who was then the the leader of the group, and uh, he was apologizing because the coffee pot that they had on was just you know had been boiling for two or three hours, and, and you were, we're like, "Yeah, we don't have any fresh coffee." That's, that's okay. I'll I'll take that. I'll take the bitter, angry, super caffeinated coffee. It's the good stuff, man. It's so good. Welcome back. As I said, uh, Thursday episode. Glad you're with us today. Um, there was something I was going to ask you, and I completely forgot what it was. But in the meantime, don't forget to get uh, Shelly's book. Susan Shelly's book. Su- she's got two first names. I keep calling her Shelly, but it's it's Susan, Susan Shelly. Yeah. Susan Shelly for Congress. The book, uh, How the First Amendment Came to Protect Topless Dancing. I- again, it's, I-, I don't, I-, I know I read a lot of books and I talk a lot about books, but this is one of those books that I, um, I need to, I-, I have it in Kindle, but I need it in hardback too. I need, this is one I need to have on my shelf so that I can whip that bad boy out at any point and say, you know, it's, it's one of those, it's so well footnoted and so well researched. And footnoting is important, especially when it comes to stuff like this, because if you're going to talk about this with anybody, you're going to need facts to back up the things that you say. Well, it's, it's one thing to say, well, the Supreme Court decided blah, 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 blah. But then somebody comes back and says, really, what, when did they decide that? What case was that? What's the, and, and she's got all that stuff there, and she's quoting uh, actual... Uh, writings from that, and as I've said on many occasions, um, Supreme Court decisions aren't written in Egyptian hieroglyphics. They're written in English. In fact, the Supreme Court probably does a better job across the board of writing their rulings than most of the other courts combined. The other courts seem to be, the lower the court, it seems like the more technical they have to make things. The more interested it is in gilding the lily. But the Supreme Court, they tend to cut through that kind of stuff. Now, they do make references to cases, and they do... They do use phraseology that if you don't, if you're not familiar with, sometimes can be a little bit confusing. But uh, as a general rule, their rulings are actually fairly, fairly easy to read, and it it is entertaining sometimes to read that stuff. And she's she's gone through a lot of those and the process that it went through uh, over the course of seventy, eighty years. And the only point I disagree with her on, and I and I, it wouldn't be a show if I didn't disagree with her at something, and that is you're allowed to. Everybody did not agree that it wasn't incorporation from the beginning. I, I, Bingham, John Bingham, the guy who wrote the 14th Amendment, he did not use the term incorporation. Okay, all right. He didn't endorse the term, but he said very clearly in his arguments that the, the states, because of the behavior particularly of Mississippi, needed to have these protections in place. In other words, they needed to make the states respect these rights. And... Well, that's not technically the words, the doctrine of incorporation, that is, in effect, what it has done. And he made that very clear in his speech uh, before the House in the, in the 39th Congress. So I, I think that to a, to a degree, I don't, the justices didn't see that way. The Senate certainly didn't understand it that way. The states certainly didn't understand it that way. Although you have to make the argument that they, they at least presently saw that, presently saw that because... Keep in mind, the 14th Amendment didn't just, it, it's, it's not the, the, ninth, or the 27th, 26th Amendment where you get the vote, you know, like that, that passed in, what, a year? It's, 
It didn't go that way. The, st- the state of California, they looked at this 14th Amendment and this due process equal protection problem with this. The state of California did not ratify the 14th Amendment until 1959. California, arguably second most liberal state in the union, maybe the most liberal. Massachusetts, California, it's kind of a toss-up. Depends on which side of the Mississippi River you live on, I guess. But there were a lot of states that looked at this thing and saw that that potential problem of incorporation coming along, primarily because of what Bingham had said, saw the idea that, hey, what if the courts do interpret it this way? You keep telling us they're not going to, but what if they do? And many of the states did not vote in favor of the, did not ratify the 14th Amendment. There are some states that still haven't ratified it. California, not until 1959. They saw something in this that, uh, that they didn't like. Now, how did, it, how did it end up getting ratified, you might ask? Well, keep in mind there were 11 states that were essentially under a military occupation at that point. The former Confederate states right. were militarily occupied by the Union government, by the federal government. And uh, it was made clear to them that if they did not vote to ratify the 14th Amendment... They would not. Uh, they would not be leaving anytime soon with the uh, with the military well, occupation. So okay. So, but I mean, it doesn't. It seem like it seems like some of the stuff put in by incorporation is is some of it is a good Absolutely. thing. Absolutely, it is a good thing. But that's that's. But what you're saying is the problem is that it, that it's too easily used for for potentially bad things. It can be used for bad things. It can be used for good things. The problem is that when they wrote the Constitution, they said, if you need to make a change, this is how you do it. You amend the Constitution. Right. You get two-thirds of the House, two-thirds of the Senate. President signs a bill, goes out to the states, three-fourths of the legislators approve it, boom, it's done. And we've seen in our history where when, when the people of the United States want a change to the Constitution, it can be done very quickly. Right. Very quickly. The, the, the uh, right to vote for the 18-year-olds, a little over a year. From start to finish for that, it went very quickly. Um, The popular election of senators, same thing. But at the same time, we've seen where states are reticent to do things. The Equal Rights Amendment never did pass. We've had multiple amendments that have never passed along. We still, the original Bill of Rights was 13 amendments. Of those now, 11 have passed. The last one in in 1992. So it... um, there's there's some things that the states look at and they go, well, we don't think that that's in our interest. And remember, this is the way the federalism is set up. The state government has an interest. The people have an interest. The federal government has an interest. And you have to balance all three of those interests against one another. And the state's representation is in the Senate. The people's is in the House. It goes forward from there. And so there was a lot more wisdom to that. And and what, shows, what Susan has really really brought to light here is we no longer use that system. We've, we've bypassed. That's the real tragedy of the 14th Amendment. We have bypassed that process. We now no longer amend the Constitution to, as she said, make it say what it means. We now say what we think it should say and mean without ever actually having changed it, which means, of course, that once you... Once you like interpreting the Bible, which arguably yeah. hasn't changed in, you know, however long. In a lot of ways, yeah. But once... So once... Once we've decided, let's say that we have our court here, and once we, this court has decided that um, this, this clause of the Constitution means that everybody wears green T-shirts on Tuesday 
and we've come to that decision. In a 5-4 split, we've decided that's what, the that's what it meant. That's what, <laughs> that's what it means. But next week, for all we know, or next year, for all we know, next session of the court, maybe the court, you know, two of them die, two of us die, and they're replaced by two people that think that everybody, it means that everybody wears pink T-shirts on Tuesday. Because it's not amended and written, hey, this is what it means. It's at the they whim. Can just go through and be reinterpreted. It's at the whim of a judge, and that's what's happened. Is that they have re- Brown versus the Board of Education is a complete reversal of a previous Supreme Court decision. Now, some previous decisions are needed. Dred Scott is an example of a decision that should never have been made, but had to be reversed. Dred Scott, you know, look, it's okay to own people. That's that's cool by us. That's a bad decision. The Supreme Court had to reverse itself later on. Brown versus Board of Education had it been amended in the Constitution, instead of a 14th Amendment, instead of that, had we had the 14th Amendment said there shall be no racial discrimination in the United States, would never have had to happen. It never would have, would have taken place, never would have mattered. And it would never would have had those issues to begin with. And in the process of that, would not have seized power from the states because the states would have agreed to that by three-fourths of the legislators voting to accept it, and the Constitution would have been so amended. Instead, what we have is a situation where if... 10 years from now, 20 years from now, five justices decide that uh, racial segregation in schools is okay, theoretically speaking, because of the way this decision has been made, theoretically speaking, you could get five justices who would say, no, nah, it's okay. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna reverse Brown versus Board of Education. And it's right back again. That's why it was... These framers, these people that wrote this document were a lot smarter... Then we give them credit for. So what you're saying? So so we're currently treating it like it's this, you know, you know, immutable, uh, you know, constant. Where we're really, you know, that th- that must be interpreted. We're really, I mean, you can ch- you could change it. Absolutely. If everybody wanted to change it, we could all change Absolutely. it to, to 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 make it say whatever we wanted. Absolutely, we could do that. Yeah, you know, all you got all you got to do is get two thirds of Congress to agree to send it to the states. Get the president to sign off the bill because he has got to sign off on it. And then three-fourths of the state legislatures concurring, it becomes an adopted part of the Constitution. As valid as any other part of it. In the exact words of the Constitution. It's a brilliant system, but we don't use it. This is, what I'm th- this is one of my pet peeves is this whole uh, natural-born citizen thing. Nobody see. It's pretty clear historically what that means, but everybody wants to argue it now. Well, what does it mean this? What does it mean why don't we just amend the Constitution to say what it means? Yeah. Boom. Done. Then we don't have to have the argument anymore. But nobody really wants to do that. Why? Because it could work in, in their could favor work. later Boy, on. There you go. That's why. It's Afternoons Live, KFIV, KWSX. Let's take one last break. We'll be right back. I'll give you that. But 
I was gonna say you're allowed. You're allowed to not like Lionel Richie. No, I like. As that. long as you totally adore Prince. I, really, as long as it's stuff from before he changed his name, it's pretty good. That was the really good stuff. Yeah, I mean Prince is always always a brilliant genius. A little crazy, but always brilliant. There's they kind of go hand in hand, don't they? Yeah. I, have you ever watched Purple Rain? Yes, several times. Yeah, crazy as yeah. hell. Yeah. <laughs> Oh well, it is. Uh, it is. It's an entertaining movie. Yeah, I don't think it's I, with awesome music. It's right up there with Streets of Fire when it comes to music. When it comes to music, have you seen Streets of Fire? I have not. You should see it. It's not one I'm familiar with. It's a rock and roll fantasy. Is it? It's awesome. All right, awesome movie. Anyway, welcome back. Um, Appeals Court today in San Francisco, the Federal Appeals Court says the video of the 2010 trial on the constitutionality, speaking of the 14th Amendment, of a California of the California same-sex marriage ban will remain sealed. Three-judge panel of the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco says it is bound by a promise made by U.S. District Judge Von Walker. Walker said during the trial that the video would not be broadcast. He ended up ruling that the voter-approved Proposition 8 violated the U.S. Constitution. On what grounds, you might ask? Well, if you were here, you recall it violated the due process and equal protection of the U.S. Constitution. Appeals Court has not yet ruled on an appeal of Walker's ruling, but they have ruled that the videotapes will remain sealed. You will not get to watch the trial. I'm glad that you brought this up, because I, I, I thought it was a little bit funny. Uh, because, well, for, for, let me state from the beginning, however... That I agree that the tape should probably be sealed, and 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 arguably it is it is my people that would want them, you know, unsealed. But I mean, if the guy said none of this will be televised, it's pretty lame to go back later and be like, let's televise it. Yeah, you know, especially given that the uh, the you have to weigh what's the what's the intent. Why do you want this broadcast? But the reason the reason proponents of Prop Eight uh want don't want the thing to be sealed is because they fear that it will open up the uh the people who spoke out in favor of maintaining the proposition uh it would expose them to uh ridicule and uh and and uh well, harassment yeah, we've already seen that, that where thing. the where the donor list up in sacramento where people were getting people were actually getting fired because they were on that list and those kind of problems, and I, is, I think that's a which legitimate... is a little, which is a little hilarious because it's like it's like so you're concerned that somebody is going to uh, uh, harass you and and treat you unfairly because of what you believe. Really, well, I, 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 that's what you're yeah, worried I, about. I don't, yeah, I I know what you're trying to say here. I disagree with the fundamental basis of that argument, in the sense that it, it, we're talking about two different things here. You you do have a right to be free from harassment, but there is no fundamental right to marry anybody. Oh, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, like, you know, that's that. Uh, well, there wasn't. There is now, but there wasn't. That. I'm just saying it's funny. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's always interesting to watch those kind of things and see what goes on. Again, you can get the book, How the First Amendment Came to Protect Topless Dancing. For those of you that are offended by the title, let me not offer sincere apologies to you. I didn't write the book, nor did I write the title, and it's a fact. It's one of the cases that's involved with 14th Amendment protections, how the First Amendment came to protect topless dancing. Well, and if you haven't really been paying attention, I mean, I can see how you might be offended. But if you have been paying attention, you're kind of an idiot if you get offended by that because you know that that's not really what it's about. It's not a stripper book. No, it is not. It's not even about strippers, although 
it does open with the stripping case in the sense of the Supreme Court justices actually taking time to talk about whether or not the pasties and G-strings are inhibit, inhibitions on First Amendment expression. And the Supreme Court of the United States actually did that. And incorporated, and incorporated that under the First Amendment, deciding that, yeah, well, the First Amendment does, in fact, protect your right to dance naked, should you so choose to do so. I choose to do it now. As long as... Footprints back on! As long as there's no compelling reason for you not to be doing so. And the government, local government would have to show that. Back in 60 seconds. <laughs> Oh, welcome back. All right, that pretty much puts the bow on a Thursday episode to make sure I didn't get to the important topic of the day, John. Ben has fallen in love with fish. I saw that. I, I've wanted to buy an aquarium for years, but now I'm debating. I don't know anything about aquariums. For somebody that's just starting out with a with a one year old, one and a half year old. Is this a good idea or not? Well, know that Ben is never, ever, even as he, as he grows up, going to take care of that aquarium. So you, you will be, oh, I don't have a problem with beholden that. to these right. fish. I don't have a problem with that because it would be my aquarium. Also, they're a huge but. pain in the ass, man. You got to like, you got to make sure you maintain the anti-algae stuff in there. You got to scrub them out. That's what I need out. to know. Yeah. So I need your advice. Text at five six five Dave. You can email at Dave Diamond Show at clearchannel dot com. Um, I'll read them eventually, but I'm trying to decide if I should go the aquarium route. How big? How what kind of fish? Oh, uh, go all out and yeah. get like saltwater piranhas or something. Well, no, I, I just want to make sure that I got s- submarines in it. That's that's the most important part to me. So you could probably get a submarine bubbler. I'm just thinking if I just have that in there and no fish, maybe that's the better <laughs> way to go. But Ben so loves fish, it's amazing. So we'll get into that tomorrow. We got top five, top five big game snacks because we can't say Super Bowl, and uh, top five and uh, fun with news as well as. All the other fun hijinks that go along as well. Take the time right now. Tell the people that matter in your life you love them very much. You'd miss them if they weren't there. So don't pass up those opportunities. You don't want to have that regret. I'm Dave Diamond. That's John Constantine for Mazzy. Have a great night, everybody. We will see you tomorrow for a Friday episode of Afternoons Live on KFIV, KWSX, and everywhere via the iHeartRadio app. Stay tuned. Rusty's next. Have a great night.